Well, good morning. Happy Easter. How's everybody doing? Good, good. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Crossing Church. If you're a guest, I didn't get to say hi to you. Um, stop me afterwards and uh, say hey. Uh, hopefully, we've got gift bags back there. So, um, you know, it tells you a little bit about our church and gives you contact information to reach out uh, to us. Um, so it's Easter. So, so let me throw this out there. Um, if you knew that you were in prison, you would want to get out, right? I mean, I think we would all agree. Like, I, I would not, I, I don't, okay, we just spent a year in prison, so I guess we all kind of know what this would be like, right? So, so the reality is, like, we, we want to get out. And here's what's incredible about what we're going to be talking about this morning. And, and, and probably all of, I mean, you're here, so you probably have heard Oh, that Jesus rose from the grave, right? I mean, like, I think everybody's kind of heard that in one way or another. And whether you believe that or not, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to stand up here and try to argue for it. I'm just going to presuppose that we believe that that is true, and we're going to go through the story, and then I'm going to tell you why we care. But, and, and here's the why. Because we are actually all in prison. The question is, is whether you realize it or not. And this isn't some like crazy like matrix type thing, right? Like, and I can prove it to you because there's two things that you can't control. One, you're going to die. Everybody recognize that, right? Um, and two, you're going to sin. You're going to rebel. You're going you're gonna to do something that, that regardless of what some book or scripture has to say, you are going to do something that you regret that you did. Or you're going to look back and you're going to go, that wasn't the right thing for me to do. And you can't control it. I mean, unless, I mean, you can raise your hand if you want. But, all right, from here far, don't do anything that you regret. Right? Like, we'd make it how long? <laughs> maybe a day. Maybe if you go to sleep right away. <laughs> right? Like, and that's the point. We're in slavery to this life of rebellion. And, and everything that we've been talking about and singing about and that whole spoken word, right, like all of that is about this freedom, right? We, we, you, everybody knows John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, right? Like there's this freedom that he grants us. Why? Because you're a good person? If so, we're... <laughs> None of us will be able to enjoy his gift. Because the reality is, is that's what grace is, by definition. It's unmerited favor. It's God choosing to save us, to rescue us. I mean, he just went through all those woods. If you were king, if you had control of everything, would you do this? No, no. No king in history has done it, nor would you. <laughs> I don't care how great of a human you think you are. We wouldn't. Why? Because we're trapped. We're enslaved. And what Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection was he set us free. And that's what I'm going to spend our time on is connecting this, this fact, this historical account of Jesus rising from the grave and going, why do I care? And it's a good question, right? Because you could make an argument like, okay, it's just a religious belief. That Jesus just rose from the grave. I either believe it or I don't believe it. 
And if I do believe it, then I guess I go to church on Sundays. But it's, it, that's not it. That's not it at all. In fact, there is so much more depth of like reality of what Jesus did for us in dying and in rising. In fact, he came specifically to die and rise for us. And so that's what we're going to be spending our time this morning is going, why do I care? How does that affect my life? Let me, let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. And what you've done for us. God, I pray that this morning, if, if this is just some abstract religious belief, that you would change that this morning. That you would open our minds, help us to see what you really did. God, I pray that, that if, if we're in here wondering if this is true, that, that the reality or the, the logical conclusion of this would penetrate our hearts and that we would then go back and go, well, maybe it is true or maybe, maybe it's something I need to figure out, God, and, and we want to start that search. We want all of us to be living a life that seeks your face. Help us this morning to read from your word, convict us, and set us free, Father. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Mark. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit, okay? So if there's, if there's three places you want to be, it's going to be in 1 Corinthians 15, okay? Romans 6, and we're going to start off in Mark. Uh, all the verses are going to be on the screen. So if you don't want to go through the, the uh, Sunday school class uh, Bible flipping drill, uh, you don't have to. All right, so here's where we're going to start. We're going to start in Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 29. And, and here's, here's what I want you guys to understand, right? So... Here's Jesus. He's been living his life on earth. He came to earth, right? He was born. And the question is, is who is this guy? Everybody's trying to figure out who this is. In fact, his mom, right, goes, hey, why don't you do something in the wedding feast in Canaan, Galilee? He goes, hey, why don't you, she goes, why don't you do something? He goes, my time hasn't come yet. Right? So, so Jesus had a very specific start to his ministry and a very specific end on this earth. Right, And so, so what we see is that Jesus is coming here intentionally for a purpose. And he says to his disciples in verse 29, he asks them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And that is like the weirdest verse when I read those. Because he does this over and over again. And he goes, hey, don't tell anybody. And it's like, what, what are you doing? Isn't this the whole point? Are you trying to become a king? Aren't you trying to... You see... Right away, we see a, a division between what you would do and what I, what I would do and what Jesus does. If I'm going around healing and I have all power and all authority, you're going to bet I'm going to tell some people. <laughs> and I think you would too. But Jesus, that's not his purpose, right? He goes, he goes, hang on, not yet. And then we read in verse 31, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's him, must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. And so what he says is, he's like, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And in, in, in uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 31, it says, and in taking the twelve. So now, so what's happened is he's been, he's been teaching the disciples, and he's been saying, listen, this is not going to end well for me. 
I mean, from your perspective, it's going to look bad. And they're actually walking into Jerusalem. This was a week ago, right? So this is Palm Sunday. So a week before he's going to rise from the grave, he's, they're walking into Jerusalem. And he says in verse 31, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And what's interesting is Jesus says this over and over and over again. The disciples don't get it. They're like, yeah, maybe it's symbolic. He, I mean, he's going to be our king, so he can't really like, die, die. So there must, be, there must be another way around this. And so they, it, it actually goes on in the, the verses and on the screen. But verse 34, it's like they didn't understand. They didn't understand what he was saying. But then in Luke chapter 24, we see the reality of it. And in verse 5, Mary and Martha go to the tomb. He's died. This is now Sunday morning, right? right like now-ish, right? The first break of sun, and they go to the tomb, and there's two angels there, and they say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And so Mary and Martha come back, and they're like, the, the, the stone was rolled away. Here's the thing, right? The disciples could have stolen the body. Right? I mean, in fact, if you read through, at the end of Matthew, the, the, the chief priests and everybody go to the Romans, and they're like, we need to put guards, we need to roll a stone, because he said he was going to rise in three days. Everybody knew that Jesus was going to rise in three days. And some people had a real good vested interest to make sure that that did not happen. And they were the institution, right? The religious elite, the religious institution, the, the government, right? You've got a, a, a few fishermen, <laughs> Right, that, that are like, uh, he said this, but we don't know, right? And after he dies, what do they do? They scatter. They flee. And then what ends up happening? Jesus actually rises from the grave, and we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, I missed the 40 days thing for like the first 30 years of my life. 40 days. It wasn't like Jesus just like popped up and he's like, okay, I'm out. See it. Right? Like he was there. He was around for 40 days. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and then we're going to kind of anchor there for a little bit and I'll stop the little drill here. Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, the disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So, so Paul is writing this like 10 years later. Like everybody's still alive. Everybody's still around. Everybody saw him for like 40 days. And they're like, he's... He's here. Did you see him? Go see him. 500 at one time, right? So, so 
the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was like a known thing. It happened. Now, people tried to figure out, and you can go through and read the, read the Gospels of like, you know, well, was it just sp- like a spirit, or, or was, it, was he really there? And then he shows them like his hands and his feet and like the nail holes, and, right, and he eats. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe a spirit doesn't eat. I don't know. What's going on? But what's the purpose? Why did all of this happen? So that, so that the creator of the universe that breathed life into you could prove that he was in charge of life and death. I think I could assume that. Right? Like, like, like I didn't create myself. I've never created something out of nothing ever in my life. If, if there's a God that could create, I think that that God could then recreate or resurrect somebody from the dead. Like, that's not a... It's not a challenging, logical conclusion, right? Like, I think we could all go, yeah, that makes sense. So, so then was, was Jesus just going like, hey, high five, check out what I just did. See you guys. There's something more significant to it. And in fact, it's for us that he does this. The whole, the whole premise, the whole reason he came incarnate, that like God in the form of man was to rescue us from the slavery that we don't even know that we're in. That's what Jesus does. And so what we end up seeing here is that Paul is going to go on and he's going to explain that that Jesus' resurrection is our resurrection. It's ours. Like, the reason Jesus came back to life is because he's saying, you are going to come back to life. You see, even in that day, there were some who were like, there's no afterlife. There's nothing that happens. Like, we die, we go into this ethereal pool of nothingness, and that's it. Jesus came to go, well, no, there's, there's something more. He proved that there's more. In fact, your five senses are incapable, right, obviously, or otherwise science would have proved it by now, right? Like, we cannot measure, we can't be in, I'm going to get a little scientific here, but you can't be inside of the experiment and measure the experiment, right? You have to be outside. And not only that, but just the measurement of the experiment, you mess up the experiment, right? Like that, that is scientifically, like there is no way for us to prove that there's something outside of us because we're all inside of this thing. <laughs> and so God comes into this. He comes to us. And he goes, let me show you. Let me show you what life. There is more. There is more. And in fact, I am the way to that life is what he's going to say. And if you look down in verse 12. So he says, this resurrection is your resurrection. In verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 12, he says, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? So that's like Paul's, the, the first thing he's saying is like, so can we, can we take the assumption that somehow it's possible to live again. Because Jesus did. Right? So that's, that's where Paul establishes this from the very get-go. And then look down in verse 19. And this is, this is a great verse. It says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Think about that. In fact, if you look back, I think a verse or two before that, he says, your faith is futile. 
If, if Jesus is a moral teacher, we all deserve to be pitied. And that's true. It's worthless. What are we doing? We're wasting our time trying to be better people. If, this, if that's all it is, if it's just to make you a more kind person, where people go, oh, man, they're such a nice family. Is that the goal? Are you willing to sacrifice for that? For the acknowledgement of mankind? Do you just want to be a better person? Do you want to be well thought of? Because if that's it, we are to be the most pitied out of everyone. Let that one sink in. Because what Paul says is that Jesus' resurrection was not just some abstract thing that has nothing to do with our eternity. It is directly connected to ours. And Jesus says this in John chapter 11. He meets the woman at the well. And we've, we've heard this story before, right? But, but put it in this frame, in this context. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So what Jesus says is, is if you believe in me, whatever this is, you're going to live. Even though you die. Like, you're going you're gonna to mort out. Like, you're going to die. Like, that's going to happen. But you're going to live eternally if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so there's this hope, right, that, that there's a resurrection of us that like somehow we're riding Jesus' coattails into eternity. I mean, that, that's, that's effectively what it is. But the question is, is how and why? Like, what, how, how did that happen? Like, okay, I believe in Jesus. I, I don't know really what that means. Like, I believe that he existed. Do I have to believe that he rose from the grave? Do I have to, do I have to believe all the nuances? Or what, what, what part of believing does, what are we talking about here? There's this, there's this term that's used throughout Scripture that we are united with Christ. And for some reason, it just doesn't get a lot of airtime. We don't, we don't talk about it as much as we ought. But, but us being united to Christ is the fundamental reason that anything happens to us. Let me, let, me, uh, let me show you this. If you turn over to Romans chapter 6, and we'll stick in Romans here for a little bit. Verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. When we place our faith in Christ, we get baptized. Right? Nothing magical happens at baptism. All we're doing is saying, I, I, I want to, I trust Christ. I'm, I've put my faith in Christ. And what you're putting your faith is in, I'm being united with him. And if you've seen a baptism, right, like you get buried in the water, right? It's a symbol, symbolizing our death 
and then symbolizing our new life. Like it is, it is symbolizing that we are dying with Christ, that we are being buried with Christ, that we are being united with Christ in his resurrection. All aspects of Christ, we are being united with him. It's as if what, what happens to Jesus happens to us. That's not something that you can do. There's nothing, there, there's no checklist to do that. Like, in fact, that, that's God's grace that does that, that, that actually allows us to be united to God. Like, think about that just for a second, okay? We, we talked about this at the very beginning, that, that this God that breathed life into you, that created you, loved you enough, and he said, you know what? I want you to be united to me in some in some in some sense, right? Like, like that when, when Jesus is on the cross, it's as if we're on the cross with him. And when he gets raised to life, we're actually raised to life with him as well. And what does it say here? That we too might walk in newness of life. And so there's this unity. We're united to Christ. That's why. That's why when, when he dies and lives, we die and live. Like, it, it's as if we just kind of get everything that he gets, which is good, right? Because guess what he is? Sovereign. He conquers death. He's righteous. You see, you can't get rid of your sins, there's no way for us to make up for our sins, to do enough good deeds to offset our bad deeds. Like that, that stuff doesn't work. And you guys, and we all know it is. It's just a math problem, right? The only way that we have any righteousness is because we're united to Christ. And so when the Father, when God looks at his son, or when he looks at us, he sees his son because we're united with him. It's like, we're like, yeah, we're with this guy. That's, why, that's the unity. That's why we care about the resurrection because that resurrection means we get resurrected. Like, this is fantastic. This is eternal life. This is, this is the answer. About 80% of the world believes in an afterlife. 25% of them have no idea what that afterlife looks like. 50% of Americans believe in an afterlife, which is interesting. Because statistically, like, I mean, go, go start pining away at those statistics. Argu interestingly, about, it's about a 10% difference between those who believe in heaven and those who believe in hell. A lot more people believe in heaven. That's weird. And so here's, here's the incredible part. is this At the end of that verse, it says that we have newness of life. You see... This isn't just for eternity. This isn't just a new life that God gives us in eternity. We actually have a new life now. Jesus' life is our life. Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You guys get that? It's Christ who lives in me, in you. There's this unity. In fact, there's, there's, an, there's this idea, right, that, that we've been crucified with him. I don't even live anymore. My life is dead to me. And in fact, everything that I'm doing and living is Christ doing that 
in and through me. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life with Christ, united with Christ in God, right? Like, we, we can't do this on our own. You guys get this, right? Like, you see how this is, like, so far beyond this idea of, like, I'm a morally good person. Like, there's, there's moral, moral goodness has zero to do with the gospel. Nothing. Other than the fact, like, like we are, we're going to die to our sins, right? I've been crucified with Christ. So like, he's talking about, like, us dying to our sins. Like, all that means is, like, I hate my sin. It doesn't mean I'm any better at controlling them. I mean, maybe a little bit better, right? Because God gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us, right? We'll talk about that here in a second. But we all still sin. It's not about a moral righteousness. It's about God choosing to unite us to him, to reconcile us with him. Like, that's why this is so incredible, because our God just decided. He just decided to love us. Arguably, he never didn't love us, but, right? Like, he just, he just chose to do this. Thank God. Thank God. Because here's, and this is why it's so incredible. It's because we talk about this newness of life. You go, well, I, is the life really that much better? Being a follower of Christ and being united with Christ, why is that life any better? There's a hint here in Colossians chapter 3. In verse 1, it says, Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. That, that right there is the key to our slavery. Because here's the thing. We're in this cell, and we've got a nice couch and maybe a nice window and a view, and we've never known anything different. And we're like, this is, this is rather nice. I get to go outside and go work out. I get to read books. But there's bars on the cell, and we can't really go very far, and we don't actually know what's outside of the prison walls, but we, we tend to think that, that we're, we're just going to paint the walls a little bit in our cell. And it's going to feel a little bit better. It's going to feel a little new. We're gonna, how about this? Anybody ever rearrange the furniture in their house? And you're like, oh, look, it's like a new house. We're just moving it from one side of the cell to the other. And we're like, oh, look, now I'm happier. Maybe you get a new couch. Maybe you get a new dining room table, right? You, you get a new rug, right? And this is what we do. This is what we're doing in our lives, you guys. Like, we're just, we're just doctoring things up. We're just making things look a little bit better. Maybe, maybe just different. But sometimes different is better. At least that's what we think. And so we just tweak things just a little bit. And what, what Paul is saying here is stop looking inside yourself. Start wondering, what's beyond, what's beyond the wall? What's out there? What's next? Is this it? You see, because otherwise we just get consumed by this world. We get distracted. And what God has done is come into our life and to rescue us, to break these chains that we don't even know that we have on our feet. 
Go back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We're free from sin. Like Jesus came in and clipped the chains. Like I said before, it doesn't mean we're done sinning. It just means that our affections are changed. And that's really the biggest part of being united with Christ is that we love the things that God loves and we hate the things that God hates. Here's the problem, trying to figure out what those two are. Because we've got it all muddled up up here. And we can turn on the news and we can see how jacked up everything is, right? We can see how, how jacked people go. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right, when we were going through judges. Like, people think they're making good decisions. They're doing things that are right in their own eyes. And, you're like, and God's like, no, that's not, no, that's, that's not right. <laughs> that's not good. Right? We, we have a hard time determining what's right and what's wrong. And what being united with Christ does is he sets us free from that sin. And so we start thinking more like Christ. We start seeing other people not as objects, but as children of God. We have empathy. We have love on a level like what he just talked about earlier is that we can actually love others in a way that is not superficial, that's not just about being morally loving, but that we love them the way Christ loves them. That we love them unconditionally. It doesn't matter how they offend us or how they frustrate us. Because we know that we frustrated God frustrate, present tense, every day, this morning, when I couldn't find the right shirt, <laughs> right? Like, we do dumb things, and we can't even control it. And this is what Christ came to suffer and die for us. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And here's, here's the biggest part of being set free. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, you can, you can take this into a, a very socially culturally acceptable phrase, and you go, you need to believe in a higher power. You need something outside of yourself. There's a reason why you need that. Because there is something outside yourself, right? And the world will say it doesn't matter what that object is. It could be anything as long as it's outside of you. But right here, Scripture is very clear, right? That, that we ought to be living for Christ. That's part of the unity. That's part of how he has rescued us because when we start living for him, it sets us free. So what does Jesus's resurrection mean for us? How does it tie to us? Man, we are united with him and, and that means we're going to get eternal life. And if you're in here and you're like, man, I, I don't know if the resurrection is true. I go, man, if there's anything worth your study, I would say, go study the resurrection. Go look, go see, go open up scripture and go, is this even true? Because the implications, you can't ignore. 
I mean, you can't. Like, I'm just saying, like, you can read all the self-help books you want. I'm just telling you, like, they aren't going to provide you with eternal life. And if this is true, then it's probably worth our life study. And not only that, if you are, in fact, actually enslaved right now, wouldn't you want to know it? And wouldn't you want to be set free? You see, these are the promises. This is, this is why we call it the gospel, the good news. Because it's God doing this for us. There's nothing that we have to do. There's, there's nothing that we have to accomplish or a checklist or any sort of things that we have to do to, to make ourselves right before God. We don't have to clean ourselves up. Nothing. It's trusting in them. It's recognizing our position in this universe, which is a created being. I know we all think we're our own gods and we're in control of our entire lives. But that fails every day, and we know that. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize how desperately we need God. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't leave us alone. In Matthew 28, 20, he says, I will be with you always. Right? So just because he leaves, like we are all sitting here as followers of Christ, waiting for him to come back, waiting for all of this to be done, for us to be finally and fully reconciled with God. But in the meantime, God doesn't just wind the watch and go, hey, let's see how you do. He's here. He's with us. Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit. He's enabled us to live lives that are free. And that's why we live, to glorify him. Not for us to be blessed and to be comfortable, but to glorify God and to show others what he has in store for them, that he is their only source of salvation. Let me pray.